Hi everybody, I have Connor Darcy with me from the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. He is the Head of Research and Policy there. Hi Connor. Hello. Hi there. Today we're going to be talking about the recent Money and Mental Health report that Connor and his team have launched, talking about how insurance is and isn't supporting people living with mental health conditions. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Connor, I've had a look at the report. Obviously, I've been through it. It's, it's a good size report. There's obviously clearly been a lot of research done in there. And I think it'd be a really good idea to talk about it. It's called the Written Off Report. So, like, why did the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute feel that now, right at this moment in time, was a really good idea to do a deep dive into what's happening in the insurance world and mental health? So we're just just to give you a bit of background on us, we're a charity that focuses, focuses on breaking the link between mental health problems and financial difficulty. So we look across a range of different kind of sectors. We look at financial services, but we look at you know energy markets. We look at experiences in healthcare, a whole, whole range of things where those issues can really play out and where that toxic cycle that we often see where someone's mental health affects their finances and then their finances affect their mental health can just end up being yes really unpleasant um, position. There, I think the reason why we wanted to focus on insurance now is that we had um, heard from our research community, and I should say there are a group of about 5,000 people, all with personal lived experience of mental health problems who really shape our work. And insurance has been one that we've heard from them as a as a concern over a few years. So we did a, a little bit of research on um, just focusing on travel insurance a few years ago, um, and we know that there's been lots of progress in the sector. There's been initiatives to you know, get signposting improved and uh, other elements. But we wanted to take a slightly broader look at insurance in general. I think with the, you know, the consumer duty on its way as well, to get a sense of the landscape, um, how things stand today and where there might be some, some room for improvement, because it is, it is such an important issue. And I, I think, again, around you know, COVID has kind of put the issue of insurance on everyone's agenda a bit more, at least within our research community and the cost of living, you know, as, as another outgoing that people have, making sure that they're really getting good value for money and that the product is working for them, I think was something that we wanted to, to understand a bit better at this moment. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And as you say, like with COVID, it was all a really strange obviously it was strange for everybody in every kind mm. of area wasn't it but I know in the insurance world obviously everything because insurance is about risk and there was suddenly this new really unknown risk so you know for quite a while we actually found in the insurance world that things became really really restricted so so not just for mental health for lots and lots of different health conditions and sometimes not even just health conditions just in general there were certain policies that were quite pulled from the market you know there was there was a lot and lot of stuff going on but as you say it kind of becomes a bit of a cycle doesn't it you know we've got a mental health condition we're wanting to apply for insurance and, and one of the things I've done in part of my work is I built like a um a mental health kind of mind map of touch points in terms of insurance so right from the very beginning of like what's the triggers for wanting insurance and and that could potentially be a mental health condition and someone's wanting to find out what's going on or it could just be anybody without a mental health condition is wanting to get insurance but the thought of going to the insurance and having to go through those applications can start to exacerbate some of those symptoms and then going forward and forward. And I think with anything, it's always a bit of an unknown. And I'll talk about my personal experience as we go forward. So just anybody who is listening, I have lived with a mental health condition for, for many, many years now and have been in the insurance industry for 13 years now. And so I do, I can see it from the advisor side, but also I've been that person as well who's gone for the insurance and and has had the, maybe the decisions we don't like, but 
well, I would say maybe the decisions, the decisions we definitely don't like and, and how that can feel and things like that. So, so to start off with then, what were the key findings from the research? What really stood out to you guys? So we wanted to, I suppose, like you were saying, understand that journey and how people might encounter different challenges, how they're feeling and get a, a broad sense of people's you know, understanding of insurance and, and feelings about it. So we did a few different bits. We did a mystery shopping exercise just focusing on travel insurance, but to to see how declaring different conditions could affect you know, the, the quote that you were given, the exclusions that might be there and how often people were declined. But we also wanted to go, you know, not just focus on travel insurance and get people's views and experiences from beyond that. So we've, um, again, as I said, we did a couple of surveys in a focus group with our research community members, and we heard there about um, you know experiences with life insurance and with income protection and a whole other other range. Yes. So I think from that um, just that travel insurance exercise, we found that there was some really massive jumps that people were offering encountering. It was obviously worse when people had you know we we looked particularly at uh, depression and bipolar, and when people had more severe and ongoing symptoms, we saw some really large jumps of up to about twenty six seven times the, the the price that others were quoted. I saw that. That's an incredible jump. Because um, so obviously I come from the protection space. So different to travel insurance. So I work in life insurance, critical and income protection. And generally you just wouldn't get that 27 times you know it well unfortunately it would just be that at some point the insurer would just say well we're just not prepared to multiply it anymore so like you've said you'd see maybe a decline so in some ways the 27 times is wow that's 27 times but actually compared to what we can see sometimes it's they're actually still prepared to offer which I know that, that does negate you know but you know, I think I, I hope I'm sort of like saying that in the right way around in a sense it's sort of like it's it's not a good thing but it's also kind of a it, this, the opportunity is still there but obviously 27 times that's a that's a phenomenal increase and that's certainly going to be something that's gonna be difficult for people to to afford or to to even accept that that's that that's the case. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, I get your point. It's a really interesting one because I think the majority, we looked at 15 different providers, a kind of mix of big and small and specialist. And I think the majority for that, um, in that instance, when it was more severe bipolar, did just decline to, to offer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can see how for some people, it's better to have some option, even if it is massively more expensive um, than for just to be declined. And it's been interesting talking to people in the sector. It feels like avoiding declines is a really big aim for lots of people because I think you know everyone understands how upsetting that can be to feel yeah. like you're just not you're not even worth the risk. Um, but I think still when you're getting those massive increases, as you said, if you're we you know we heard from people whose the the quote they were getting for their travel insurance was worth was was higher than the entire cost of their holiday or at least their flights. Yeah. So it makes that difficulty of being able to afford it to be able to kind of do the things that we all take for granted that insurance yeah. enables us to do without worrying just that much you know harder or impossible in some instances and Absolutely. i think with the with the exclusions i think this is a really interesting one and gets into some of the, the broader points for across the sector yes people often felt like there weren't great bits of information provided that it wasn't really clear when exactly things were were not being um you know covered and when people's mental health wasn't definitely covered um yeah that um i think in some instances we saw where even where the mental health problem was excluded from that mystery shopping exercise, that the price stayed the same, and people wondered, was that a was that fair? If yeah. you know, you're reckoning that this is the reason why I'm at higher risk, you're still charging me the same same price, but not giving me the cover for that. Does that 
equate to a good deal for me. Yeah. Um, so there was, yeah, a, a real mix there. And I think looking across the sector more broadly, we found people who I think had 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 negative experiences with one bit of the sector. And uh, I know, as you were saying, there's, there's really big and important differences between travel insurance and, and life and, and other forms of protection. But people that we spoke to often didn't make that distinction. It was, I'd had a bad experience with an insurer that's rocked my trust in the sector as a whole. I've had Absolutely. massively high quotes given to me. It's just something that I've been written off from now and just leaves you in this really unpleasant position of feeling like you're you're not going to be able to you know take part in normal life and you can't do the things that everyone assumes they can. Absolutely. And I was going to say, I think, you know, that really, really stands out to me is is just that thing of, you know, once you've experienced it somewhere, it 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 doesn't matter in a sense. So, so, you know, we've had it before where people have, you know, because I, I tend to help people specifically with health conditions. I've not found it easy to get insurance. And it might be that I've done my research and everything and I'm saying to somebody, right, you should really go to this insurer because, you know, they are going to be the best price for you. Um, but then they've been absolutely point blank. I won't use them because they were really bad for me when I tried to do like a claim on my building contents. And, you know, people, we don't see that because we're not, you know, obviously even as an insurance specialist at times, you know, we can be looking at other people in different kind of areas within insurance and you just can be like, really? It does that over there? You know, and, and, and we don't even know it. So people outside insurance world, you know, it's going to be very, very hard for them. So, so I'll just I'll explain a little bit about my experience if that would be helpful because you know obviously just yeah, I think it's always nice for people to hear sometimes that someone from the industry who's just like well I do kind of get it a bit. So um, so when I first tried to get my insurance about thirteen years ago now, I was declined by all but two insurers because of my mental health. Now at the time, was, this was around two thousand ten. Um, I had um, been living with generalized anxiety disorder. I'd had a few years prior. I'd had um, a couple of bouts of agoraphobia. Um, but I'd not had anything. So insurance, the insurances that I look at, which would be, let's say, the life insurance, the critical illness, the income protection, the things that the insurers are really looking for is where the symptoms have been quite um, quite significant and there's maybe needs to be a support. So that would be something where, um, you know, somebody's maybe needed to be an inpatient at hospital for a bit or possibly there's been some actions to maybe to maybe hurt themselves at some point due to their mental health. And I didn't have any of those things. And and I was just like, hang on, I'm just I'm an anxious person, you know, and only two insurers will insure me and they're increasing my premiums. And it felt really it was awful because I like a lot of people who I'm showing your respondents, you know, to this thing. I got those letters saying we're declining you for your mental health. It was really blunt. It was really hard. And at the same point, you kind of there as yourself going, actually, I'm in a really good space with my mental health. But this organization, this big organization is telling me that. I'm not. And if you do get a decline due to your mental health, it's it's depending upon the insurance, it's a very clear message as to what they're kind of saying as to mm. what they think might happen to you in the future. And that's really, really difficult to, to process. And now I've, I went for new insurances about seven years ago and everything was absolutely fine, completely normal terms, no issues whatsoever, quite a few options and even more so now. So I think what, what I'd like to show people, and, and I would certainly not say that anybody you know any everybody's experience is absolutely valid and what you know they have been through but in terms of the insurances it's, it's incredibly important to research the market because you know you can get some insurers who might decline someone and someone else might do 
normal terms. And when I say normal terms, that does mean the, the basic premiums and no exclusions on the policies. So just a little bit of a information, hopefully, for any listeners that could hopefully be helpful. So if you were going for something like personal life insurance, with something like that, the majority of the time, you are not going to see um, an exclusion for mental health on life insurance. There is a caveat on a lot of insurers, and this has got nothing to do with an individual, but there is a caveat on a lot of insurers that as standard for anybody they would put an initial suicide exclusion for the first 12 months. Now that is, that's, that's pretty standard across the board. Some don't, but you know, so if someone does see that, you know, please don't suddenly think, oh, what have they done? You know, anything like that. It, it is standard and, and it's, it's not something personal to you and your background. In terms of critical illness cover, Again, we're not generally going to see exclusions, but there has been some developments recently. And some insurers, with critical illness cover, I have to say, it's an absolute minefield because there's lots and lots of different versions. But let's just say that with most insurers, there's two versions. There's like the car version and then there's the super duper version. And what we're finding now in the super duper version is that some insurers may be able to cover things like psychosis on their critical illness claims. So if somebody went for the car cover they might not have an exclusion. But if they went for the super duper version that has psychosis on there, they might actually see an exclusion for psychosis. And it's it's really hard because if they, if, if they approach one way, there wouldn't be the exclusion there. So there's not mm. then that, there's not then that jarring kind of upset, I think, of sort of seeing an exclusion, but it is there. But then obviously it's very, very important for me to be very clear with income protection. And I imagine, because I know this is one that you mentioned before, Connor, as well, is that with a lot of income protection policies, if you apply for them personally, so that's something you pay for yourself, um, a lot of the time they will have exclusions for mental health conditions. And that can feel quite intense. And a lot of the time as well, even with a mental health exclusion, you a lot of insurers won't insure people with certain mental health conditions, even if there is a mental health exclusion. And as you say, some insurers will do a discount because the mental health is no longer available on the policy claim set. Some of them don't. So again, that's why it's so, so important to do lots and lots of research. And then on the flip side of all of this, we have what's known as group insurance. And that is something that's arranged by a limited company. And you get a certain amount of what's known as free medical underwriting. And I won't go into this too much because it's incredibly jargon heavy. And Connor, I really, really want to give you a chance to sort of tell me even more about what's coming from the report. But in terms of the group insurance through a limited company, so that's where you're an employee of an organization and your employer arranges the insurances for you. You can often get those kinds of policies without any exclusions in relation to things like the mental health claim. Claims. There can sometimes be, I have to say, there can sometimes be wording in them that we just need to be really careful of. But with that kind of policy, it is usually done, um, it usually has to be done through a broker. So you would have an advisor there giving some tips and everything. But also, if you are in a position where you are accessing these insurances, maybe even doing something like a bit of salary sacrifice to be able to feed into them. Really, really essential. Speak to your HR people, get the terms and conditions and just go through them. Make sure that there's nothing in there kind of saying, you must tell us if you've got X, Y, Z or anything like that. Because the last thing you want to do is be paying for something where there's maybe that potential that it might not be covering. Because again, that's a huge issue that people have at times is that they maybe pay for insurances and then suddenly 
it's not going to do what they're expecting it to do. And that's clearly what we all want to avoid. So I hope that's a little bit, just a little bit of a, a tidbit for people, Connor, just to give them a little bit of information. Unfortunately, I can't give any insight onto the travel and things like private medical insurance, bills and contents, anything like that, because it's not the space that I operate in. But I'm sure, and I, I do know many people in that space who could give some some really good insights into that. Um. What do you believe, Connor, is missing from the insurance world to support people living with a mental health condition? I think there's there's probably a few bits at, at different stages. And, you know, I think, as, as you said, I think even within travel, but across different sectors or within insurance, there's a real range of practice. And some firms are doing a, a really good job. We've heard lots of good examples of how people take the time to explain stuff really clear, carefully, that there's really good signposting, that when decisions are made, there's good, clear information on why that's been made and, and you know how it's been reached. Um, I, I think on your, on your point around research, I, I think that is is really when people are able to do that, that can just, you know, you can find the one that's right for you and yeah. you can get a good deal. Something that we hear a lot from people with mental health problems is that when your symptoms are playing up, just, you know, day to day life becomes so hard and that you know yeah. it's, it's hard to get out of bed. So the idea of having to go through different websites and put in all that information and often be asked quite tough questions about yes. you know, really some really difficult times in your life. that, uh, Or as you were saying, you, you feel like your symptoms are under control. It's not affecting you, but you're still being asked and feeling like you're still being punished for health reasons that that yeah. just really can make going through that process, doing that research, just such a, a troll really and, and of course. Um, difficult. So I, I think, you know, trying to raise these issues across the, the industry as a, as a whole and get people aware and thinking about what some of those journeys look like and where the difficulties might be, I think is is one big thing we want to see. I think there's loads of points around the, I think the, the journey onwards around like, you know, with claims. And we often hear from people with mental health problems that when, you know, in, in other worlds as well, in like financial services more broadly, when something goes wrong, you you always know that you can make a complaint, but there should be ways to fix it. But if if the only way to fix it is to ring up a specialist number and actually your anxiety means that being on the can, phone yeah. to a stranger is just an absolute nightmare for you and leaves you, you know, we've we heard of people who are just shaking and completely unable to sit on hold because it's just so yeah. overwhelming for them. But if, you know, if you might as an insurer have a really good support team that you think can help people fantastically, but they're they're only available through the phone, that's can be just inaccessible for some people. So there's this thinking about for people with a range of different conditions, how are they going to get to the right support? Where is the information available? Is it available on lots of different channels? Are you giving the people chances to, you know, pause and come back again? And um, to if you're going, if your mental health is playing up, so many of the common symptoms that we hear about things like, you know, your your memory isn't as good, your concentration isn't as good. That can just mean that filling out a very long form or having a long conversation can just be really tough. So giving people the opportunity to to pause and come back to it um, can, yeah. can be a really big one. So um, we've got a best practice guide coming out on this shortly with oh, loads brilliant. of these details and what yeah. firms can do. But the report has quite a bit as well. So I think from from firms point of view, that, that's what we're really looking for. I think there's a there's a slightly broader one. To, to get at that issue of trust so as we said you know some of those some of those jumps we saw of like up to 27 times were, yes. were you know I think worrying is probably the, the best word for it we tried to look into what data was being used by that and obviously you know there's commercial reasons and sensitivities and that data isn't publicly available but from what we could find from medical literature and, and other sorts of sources it didn't seem totally clear and when it's being communicated to 
customers, they didn't feel like they really knew where this was coming from. And it was yeah. leading to that feeling of being discriminated against. So one of the, the calls that we've been making is for um, you know, the FCA to, to do a bit more to really work with insurers to understand what data are they using and is it definitely you know, relevant? Is it up to date? Is it um, drawing the right conclusions? And you know, I, th I think if we found that firms maybe weren't using the most up to date, you'd hope that the FCA would take action and suggest better mm -hmm. sources, that there might be an improvement in the sector overall. But equally, you know, if it finds that the, the data is being used fairly, that it is just sensible risk-based um, approaches, that you start to think, well, you know, what is the what's the offer then for people who are just being locked out from these products? And it's you know not dissimilar, I think, from the the, the flood re program where people were just unable to get that cover. If there's a need for government to step in, um, then yeah. that's the, the next discussion. But I I think that previous um, step of like figuring out. Is the data definitely as good as it could be? Is it being used in a, in a fair and kind of consistent way? Are the questions being asked lining up nicely with that? I think is one of our, our, our big initial calls, I think, to, to hopefully raise trust and to, to improve outcomes for, for consumers with mental health problems. I think, you know, there's a couple of really, really good points there, like you say, in terms of the phone calls and things like that. So, you know, I do have people who I support who can't use the phone due to social anxiety. So, you know, we may be adapt to let them do email and things like that if they feel comfortable doing that. So, you know, I think with anything, but it's, I was thinking as well, straight away, a phone call, if it is only available by phone call, well, you have people who are deaf who can't use the phone exactly. in, in the same kind of way. So, you know, this is this is good practice for many, many situations. And um, and there was a thing that sort of came up for me, just, cause that was just going back to the report as well, and just something you said there, because there's a lot of confusion. And, and I think there's always this kind of... Um, kind of wall in a sense that we get when it comes to things like the Equality Act and you know I do have people ask me about that who are you know clients I'll say well hang on a minute in terms of the Equality Act they're not meant to do this but there is some exemption isn't there for insurance but I think you know there's always this query about where does that line get drawn isn't there there's, mm. there's something there yeah so insurers are allowed to, to discriminate based on um disability or health conditions but it has to be the data that they're using has to be relevant and reliable and up to date because if I, I think this is a, a really it could apply to any health condition but I think it's really yeah. important for mental health problems because there has just been so much change in how we think about it how our analysis and understanding of it has changed even treatments and what's available um, and the level of people who are now you know, a bit more comfortable talking about this and, and getting help and support has totally changed. So I would imagine if you're using data from, you know, um, the, going back to the 90s, say, that might give you a very different picture to to who would self-identify as having a mental health problem today and what sorts what sort of information is available for them. So I think if insurers can, you know, even internally look at, are we really comfortable and confident that we are using good quality, accurate, up-to-date data I think that would hopefully start the again the, the ball rolling on building a bit more confidence and that firms know that they are doing as good as they possibly can do and can think about how they communicate that to, to customers. Absolutely. I think that's a really good idea. And just another little side thing that's just popped into my head before I ask you our final question and uh, and uh, we sort of come towards the end of the podcast is um, just to sort of make everybody aware as well, we've got, there are certain conditions in some parts of the world where there is something known as the right to forget. And, you know, after a certain period of time, the, there is, you know, some people, there's no duty on them to say about certain things when they go for insurances. So, and this is really, really relevant for mental health. So it might be that someone's mental health condition is 
disclosed on the application, but it might be that certain things that have maybe been associated with that mental health condition are outside of time frame. So you'll get some insurers will say things like, have you ever had any of these events happen? But then you might get some who say, have you had any of these things in the last 10 years? in the last five years. And, you know, for myself, and I know you will know as well, Connor, as well, is that there was many, many conditions where people, until they get their diagnosis, until they get their treatment, there can be things, especially in the teenage years, that, you know, with some insurers can really affect them well into their 40s, 50s, you know, and it's and it's not been them and who they are for decades. So again, when we're coming down to that research side of things, and as you say, research isn't always the easiest thing for everybody because, you know, it does feel like, a slog and you might think oh do I have to fill in all these details with every single insurer until I find the right one and obviously there were many different ways for people to to be able to try and and overcome some of those things um and also as well I think it's important to know that for people to know that with things like the insurances that I do is that you don't have to always go down a route where you would talk about your mental health and your past. There are specialist policies now very, very clearly. They can come potentially with exclusions and, you know, they must be spoken about very, very clearly to people. But again, like we were saying before, if it's a choice of not having the insurance or potentially having the insurance, then sometimes if if it is that case of you just cannot speak about the past, there can sometimes be options. So please don't feel if anybody's listening in that situation, please don't feel um maybe anxious or think that, you know, you, you definitely can't have anything. There can be you might talk about it with somebody and you might think, actually, that suits me. You might talk about it and you think, you know, actually, no, that doesn't suit me. And I just, I still don't feel it's right. But at least hopefully have that confidence to know that there are many routes to insurance. And, you know, there's definitely lots of things we can do. So, Connor, just to sort of like finalise the um, podcast then in terms of the questions, what would be sort of like your key calls to action? I know we've already spoken about some of them in a sense, but if you could just give like a couple of like, bullet points in a sense to just say right insurers or fca or anybody please do this yeah i think insurers uh have a look at your data make sure you're confident in it think is it fair uh fca i think to have a look at what firms are doing start talking a bit more about this thinking about how this might tie into the consumer duty and responsibilities there i i do think that for insurers more broadly just that that journey and the some of those things you were just mentioning like timelines do you need to ask questions about things that happened eight, nine, 10 years ago, or would a more recent time period be fair? What does that journey look like from, from you know, very first logging onto a website or picking up the phone right through to making a claim? If you have a mental health problem, all the practical difficulties that can present, is this a journey that will actually work for people? Or are you just making it unnecessarily hard? Is it unfair? Does it mean that they just aren't going to get the same, you know, level of kind of, you know, good service and a good outcome that any other consumer would expect to have. So I think it's, it's um, getting the ball rolling on this conversation where I know there has been progress, lots has been done, but it still feels from people who we've been speaking to that there is a long way to go before people with mental health problems feel totally confident in the insurance industry. Yeah. And I think that's some, some really good good questions and some good really good pointers to put out there. And, you know, as you say, whether or not something comes back and says actually the data is up to date and things like that, then that's 
that's that but you know great and fantastic but also it's just as you say that transparency having that open dialogue so we can build that trust into the insurance world well thank you so much connor for coming on and giving your insights and talking through the recent research next time i'm going to be back with roy and we're going to be talking with charlotte rogers her passion for trusts and the real life story that she shares that absolutely hits home why trusts are a key part of providing insurance advice if you'd like a reminder of the next episode please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical protection.co.uk and don't forget if you've listened to this as part of your work you can claim a cpd certificate on the website too thanks to our sponsors the octa members thank you so much connor bye Catherine.